Hello, how are you doing? I hope you're having a fantastic day. <sighs> We're back, baby. I think we are done with we have com we have successfully completed all of the previously planned winter travel extravaganza festivities and yours truly is back at the farm. And let me tell you something. Being gone for as long as I have been for the past winter is not an easy thing to do right away. And it's really going to spill into next week's episode of the importance of help. And I'm not talking about, and I'm not saying and bringing up, you know, oh my God, I've been able to leave my farm for almost a month since the first of the year, blah, blah, blah. Aren't I lucky? And yeah, it is really nice. And it has taken me a long time to be able to do this. Um, but I think the more important thing is, is A, to not compare yourself to someone who's not where you are. And B, understand that there are certain things that you can only learn and experience by going to where that thing is, is, is happening and taking place and experiencing it and being able to come into that place through years worth of friendship and communication and building trust and rapport and et cetera. Um, so, the the reason that all of this matters or how it's or why it's pertinent to today's episode of propagating shrubs is many of the places that i was able to tour and visit and see and experience over the past several weeks are really really heavily um investing and have invested in shrubs and woody type plants um, in their production line and in their crop production plan. And I think that's really fucking cool. And it has a shitload of value. And I think that we need to talk about it more. And I know that people are hungry for it because over the past couple weeks, I think maybe this has all been unfolding I've been posting some reels on Instagram about propagating shrubs. And just one of the ways that we are able to do that um, and kind of, you know, walking through the steps and, you know, what to expect and how we do it and whatever, whatever. Um, and I was kind of surprised at how they stuck and some of the questions that came out of that. So... I also need to preface this by saying one big thing. I am not a professional at this, okay? I am someone who has propagated a few things in my life. Primarily, the vast majority of them are herbaceous things. Um, but woody-type plants have tremendous value. And understanding how to propagate them is very important for many reasons. One, it is allowing you to be in control and in charge of what you are utilizing for the long-term 
uh, success of your operation and you're not solely dependent on someone else's thought process of crop production plans. Um, two, um, being able to, you know, step up to the plate if you needed to um, have more of something. Again, kind of relying, being more self-reliant. Um, it makes you a better, well-rounded, and better and more well-rounded plants person because you are able to truly understand and grasp the concept and identify different parts of the plant, etc. But I also need you to understand that not every shrub is the same. And there, there are nuances with things and there are different types and species and varieties, etc. that won't respond the way something else will. Plants are like people. We're not meant to last forever and we're not all the same. Okay, so with that in mind, I think we can get started. <laughs> so out of that five minute long fucking introduction, uh, today we're talking about propagating shrubs. My name is Drew. This is the Between Me and Drew podcast with Claire Joyce Flowers, and I am really, really excited to talk with you today about plants. So here we go. I don't even know where to start. Okay. One of the most important things, and this came up uh, out of that Reels uh, series that I mentioned earlier, was um, when it comes to propagating shrubs, and we really do see this more so in shrubs than other uh, areas of, of plant material, um, is the presence of patents. Um, many of the unique varieties and types of shrubs that are you know, on the market and our staples of the market that we know very well today, um, either currently are, or at one point in time patented, um, plant patents are a thing. They've been a thing for a very long time. This is not a new concept, but essentially what it is, is the, uh, person who came up with crossbred, found, stumbled upon, isolated, etc. um, a certain, variety that showed a trait or characteristic that that one person found favorable or enjoyed, um, that is, uh, a person who can, um, sell the rights to that genetic, um, that they've isolated and, and spent time isolating and making sure it's stable and, you know, putting it up and against performance tracks and et cetera. Um, they can sell that to a plant company. Um, and plant breeders are tremendous. I have a lot of respect for plant breeders. Um, and then when that line is sold, it would be sold to a company like, um, here in the United States, uh, proven winners, um, proven winners is a plant company. Uh, they buy and do their own breeding, um, as well. And then from there, it can be that, that, trait or that genetic and that now variety uh, can be put into mass production through different propagators and then sold um, depending on, you know, where that company wants it to go. Um, a really good example of this is um, Hydrangea Particulata Limelight. Um, it was a, you know, tremendous um, introduction to the market when it was new and um, it's 20 years worth of patent is up and it was up last year 
And now that variety is no longer patented, but um, Proven Winners is not an idiot company. They know what they're doing. So over the past several years, they've been hyping up the next round of uh, Hydrangea Particulata Limelight Prime. Um, so they 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 definitely know what they're doing. They've they have made tremendous money, and they continue to make tremendous money um, and contributions to the to the industry. Um, and um, they're smart, smart people. However, you are smart. Are blah, 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 you are smart also? <laughs> okay. Um, the reason I'm saying that is because just because one thing is patented today doesn't mean that it's going to be patented next year or two years, or five years down the road. So if you see something that you really, truly love and you want to have more of it, check and see if it's patented, one. And two, when does its patent expire? Um, those are all very important you know, things and details to keep in mind uh, because they all really do play, to get, play together. The next thing to keep in mind, too, outside of patenting is really truly grasping the type of plant that you're working with um, and this is where you know from a propagation perspective that I really start to see the differences between production plans and producers um, and kind of how we handle things um, what I'm getting at is not every shrub needs to have its handheld okay um, when we're working with things like willows, so curly willow, pussy willow, dogwoods even, um, they're very rugged, very prolific, and easily to propagate, easy to propagate crops, okay? Um, and many times they don't need special primping and pruning and hormone treatment and blah, 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 etc. to perform and produce the way that we expect them to. Um, that's not the case for everything. You know, there are certain types of hydrangeas and nine bark and, you know, yada, 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 whatever, et cetera, where we do take a little more time and primping and pruning and, you know, doing the thing to make them do the thing um, that isn't the same across the board. Um, here's what I mean. When we're propagating willows, we're literally taking a dormant stick and shoving it into soil, whether that's soil in a pot or soil in the field, um, maintaining moisture, and that entire stick roots down, okay? Um, that would be considered propagating off of old wood. So that wood that is being rooted and grown um, is over at least one year old, okay? The other kind of propagation, uh, material, propagated material rather, um, is softwood or new wood. Um, and what the reason I'm I'm starting to bring these these uh, names um, and terminologies into the discussion right now is because if you were to look into a shrub propagation book, of which there are many that are tremendous, um, and I would really strongly encourage you to invest in some of these pieces of literature, um, these, these publications will oftentimes, and quite often actually, um, reference new wood, old wood, etc. cetera, uh, because each type of shrub is going to perform differently um, based off of the maturity of the propagative material that you're working with. So 
the way that this translates to us on our farm is when we are wanting to propagate more of snowball viburnum or different kinds of nine bark, um, whatever the case is, we're going to approach that from a different perspective. A um, couple different reasons. I'm able to get and harvest a larger amount of fresh new wood cuttings rather than old wood cuttings because I'm forcing these in a heated greenhouse at this point in the season. Um, with those new tender shoots, I'm able to um, place them into a moist tray, keep that soil consistently moist, hit it with a rooting hormone through the irrigation, of which we're going to talk about because everyone always has questions. <laughs> Um, and then, um, it's going to root down and off of one plant, one large, very nice, healthy three gallon pot that I've, you know, pulled into the prop house in December. Um, I'm able to get, you know, three, 400 cuttings off of one plant rather than if you were doing that same variety off of old wood, you're not going to be able to cut up a plant that size into that many pieces. Um, so it is, it is different for sure. Um, are there more steps and more, you know, things that we have to do and keep in mind, etc. Um, when we are propagating on a smaller, um, scale like this or a, a more refined scale like this. Yeah, there are, it takes longer. There's more steps, etc. Um, as compared to if you were to take a piece of old wood um, off of a nine bark or a viburnum um, and, you know, place that directly into a pot of soil or into a moist bed out in your field, um, you're going to get a larger plant quick, more quicker, quicker. You're going to get a larger plant quicker. Sure. That kind of sounds halfway right. Um, but you're not going to be able to perform or produce as many of, of the quantity. Um, so that's, that's kind of where one of the trade-offs comes into play. Um, the other thing too, is when we are talking about, um, consistency and really understanding your space and your environment, um, not everything is going to be, you know, as controlled or as perfect in a field setting as it will be in a, greenhouse setting. What I mean by this is if you are relying on um, your outside environment, so rains, even if you have irrigation, you still have to factor in rain factor or the element of rain, um, sunlight day, daylight, you know, the amount of sun in the day, uh, air temperatures, soil temperatures, etc. All of those things come into play. Um, and if one of those things were to go wrong, where let's say you don't get enough rain and you get caught with your pants down and you don't have your irrigation set up yet. Okay, well, that's not good because you've got, you know, a thousand freshly stuck cuttings that need water and they're not getting it. And then that's a problem. Um, so, you know, factoring in something like that. Or um, let's say you get an unexpected freeze and all of your cuttings that were freshly budded out um, got frozen back to 19 degrees. Well, that doesn't sound good either. Um, so, again, 
problems. The reason I'm saying all of this, is, and this might still sound confusing to you, and that's okay because really wrapping your mind around this takes time. Um, you need to figure out what is going to work for your systems and your operations. Um, and this is a topic that I've been really dwelling on and, and mulling over in my head for a couple weeks because um, there just simply is not enough people propagating woody material. Uh, small growers. There's not enough small growers propagating woody material. Um, and we, we we need to get better at that. And a lot of times that skill set comes from the act of doing and we need to we need to step it up um so i am also going to say this um but i don't have all the answers for you and if you are looking for someone who's going to be able to give you the magic sauce baby it's not me okay i can tell you what i know from my experience and that's about where i can draw the line um so let's kind of work into some other things I previously mentioned how we um, apply rooting hormone through our irrigation system. So the primary hormone that we rely on is a product or is coming into play through a product uh, called cytokin, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N. Um, and that is a product that's uh, produced by Miller Chemical Company. It's an organic plant material. Um, it's I'm pretty sure it's uh, registered on the OMRI list. Um, so it's available to use. You can find it on the internet. Um, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N. Um, and it's a liquid. So what we do with that chemical hormone everything's a fucking chemical, we can call it a chemical, um, is that's, that, that's a discussion for another day. Anyway, back on track. Um, cytokine, we are able to, uh, take the concentrate, uh, hormone, dilute it down with water, and then we can inject that into our irrigation systems, um, and since we're doing all of our watering in the propagation houses by hand uh, through wands and garden hoses, um, it's very easy for us to hit specific plants. Um, when we are injecting and uh, watering in with cytokine, I'm not putting it into the big uh, fertilizer siphon uh, jugs. I'm just mixing up like a, a, an ice cream bucket basically, or like a milk jug worth. And then, um, watering in what needs to be watered in with the, with cytokine and then, um, removing the siphon hose from that jug. And then, you know, just going back in with the, the regular mix. Um, our regular mix is going to vary, uh, basically from week to week. We do have, um, kind of a effed up pH here. So we have to, um, inject our, propagation house water with uh, an acid fertilizer to kind of keep that pH in check. Um, so we're mixing uh, or switching off and on from that pH fertilizer to a triple 20. That's uh, very diluted down just to basically, you know, maintain uh, a constant state of nutrition. Um, and then 
once our freshly stuck cuttings are hydrated, that's when we go through and do just a, a light pass of the cytokine uh, to kind of get that hormone presence um, bumped up a little bit and to get these plants going. Um, there's one really important step that I just mentioned there, and I'm not quite sure if you caught it or not. But we're not applying hormone until the cuttings that we have stuck are hydrated. This is the same process for all of the um, cuttings that we're harvesting and, and producing, basically. Dahlias, chrysanthemums, woodies, etc. Um, we're not hitting those plants and those cuttings, those freshly stuck cuttings, with this hormone until they are fully hydrated. Those cuttings need to be hydrated and stable before we even think about forcing them to work harder. So that's that's really important. That's a big deal. Um, is if your cutting is not healthy, prepped, and ready, and then you, you try to force it, it just kind of sucks. And cytokine is, cytokine is a very... Uh, I don't want to say fickle thing to work with. Um, it's just, it's different. It's different than many of the powdered rooting hormones that, you know, lots of people have lots of experience with. Um, it's, it's, it is a liquid. So it moves through the soil differently. Um, it adheres to the surface of the plant material differently. Um, so there's just, you know, things that you have to do, um, when you're working with something with a new, new input, uh, to really gain your your knowledge base and your understanding of how it works and how plants respond to it. And then it, you can move forward from there. Um, cytokine is a all-around uh, plant growth hormone. So you can use this for um, wanting to elongate your stems. You can use this for wanting to increase um, the amount of foliage production. You can use this to... Uh, boost up rooting processes. You can use this for lots and lots of different things. It just basically is is encouraging your plant that you're trying to grow to do it faster. Um, so with that comes into mind, and you have to factor into you know the equation of, okay, if this thing is going to grow faster, I need to facilitate that system even more. So more waterings, really, really monitoring your temperatures because now this plant is in overdrive um, and you've got to make sure that you have your stuff locked down and good to go, prepped, set, okay? Um, so that's that's a process that we're really relying on, um, product and process we're relying on for um, propagating softwood cuttings. And we're doing pretty much all of that in the propagation house or under cover of, of some capacity. So what that looks like, and if you need a visual for this, feel free to go back to the Instagram, Clara Joyce Flowers, and, and watch the process. But we're basically cutting off or ripping off, usually, um, fresh shoots from a mother plant. They are going to have at least two full leaf sets set, preferably three. Um, no signs of bud, and we usually see that primarily on nine bark. Um, I don't want to see buds in my cutting 
because that cutting is in flowering production mode and I need it in vegetative production mode. I don't want flowers. I want leaves for this process that we're, that we're doing right now. Um, so if there is a flower bud in that cutting down in the base, then I'm going to pinch that out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It is what it is. Um, once I have the, the cuttings prepared, then I'm going to stick them into a rooting media. Um, we're using just a general purpose potting media. Um, and I am placing those cuttings into a pre-dibbled tray. Um, our tray dibbler is from Two Bad Cats, LLC. Um, they're out of Vermont. They are a small farm implement designer and manufacturer. Um, I got our dibbling trays years ago, years and years ago, back when they were still posting on their Instagram, which was in 2016. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're, it's great product. They work, they're reliable. It's no frills. It does the job. Um, and all it's doing is punching evenly spaced holes into an open flat of soil. Um, since propagating shrubs is not 110% guaranteed that they're going to succeed, um, I am not utilizing uh, plug flats or cell strips for these. Um, I'm just taking an open 1020 flat, so no cells, um, with holes in the bottom, so if we need drainage, filling that with uh, soil, and then watering it in for a few days or a day, whatever, um, pressing this uh, plug dibbler down into the flat, making my pre-punched holes, and then I'm going through and sticking all of my cuttings that I've just freshly harvested into this dibbled tray. As I'm doing that, I need to make sure that I'm, you know, pinching or packing the soil around the base of the stem so I have good stem to soil contact because that's very, very important. Um, roots have a hard time sometimes uh, penetrating air pockets. Um, so we need to kind of keep that in mind, which is very, you know, elementary, basic plant processes for propagation. Um, so really understand those and, and keep that shit in mind because you need to know it. Um, from there, it's consistent moisture all the time. Um, you know, sunny days, you might be watering two, three, four times if it's really hot. Cloudy days, shit, you might not be watering at all. Um, but maintaining that consistent level of moisture is huge. Very, very huge. After the first 48, 36 hours, 36, 48, 70, no more than 72 hours usually, um, your cutting should be fully hydrated at that point. So after that rehydration period um, where that cutting, much like the flowers that we harvest during production season, um, it has to relearn where its water source is coming from because it no longer has roots attached to it. Um, it no longer has those, you know, the vesicle system where water, moisture, is moving from root system through stem and into leaf. Now it just has stem and leaf, so it needs to figure all that shit out again. Um, so give it time to do that. Um, after, like I said, after you've uh, allowed that plant the time and process to do that, you're good to go. You can start into 
um, or we start into uh, introducing cytokine to the process. And we usually only hit crops uh, with cytokine once, maybe twice if they're still slow, um, and then they, they usually get the drift and, and keep moving. Once we have um, a tray of rooted down cuttings, which takes quite a while, okay, weeks to really happen and to see good results from, um, we're actually going to let them grow out like this for a good chunk of the production season. Um, they're just going to start to root in and get filled in in this flat. And once they really are, you know, cruising along and doing good and they're nice and healthy, that's when we're going to prick out these cuttings and get them going into the container that they will eventually be planted out into the field in. Um, depending on the point in the season when we are expecting and planning on planting them out will depend on or factor into the kind or size of container or pot that we are planting these rooted cuttings into. Um, if we are doing them in spring and summer, planting them out in the spring and summer, I'm usually going to transplant into a larger pot, like a one-gallon pot, just so that there's more media, more soil, um, and uh, more water-holding capacity for that plant for when it gets planted out. If we were planting these in the fall or early winter, then I could get by with a quart pot um, instead of a one-gallon. I could get by with a quart. It would be fine uh, here anyway in, you know, zone 5a upper northwestern illinois and the reason we're able to get by with that is because at that point in the season that shrub is in a dormant state one and two we have a shitload of snow coming um so you can factor that snow load into the amount of available water that that plant will have access to in the upcoming spring a lot of people don't even think about that and i I don't know how I stumbled upon it, um, but the first shrubs that we put in were smaller than a quart when they arrived. I planted them super, super late in the fall. It was basically winter because the ground had started to freeze, and I was just shoving them fuckers in the ground, and they got covered with snow, and boom, good to go. Um, some of the best nine bark. It is the most well-rooted-in crop of nine bark that we have. Um, super, super productive. Um and it was like no frills. I didn't water them in at all. It was just the snow. And it was great. And I loved it. So now that's a standard process in principle that we do here at the farm. Um, so yeah, that's fun. Um, let's take a step back. We've kind of, we have, we haven't kind of, we really truly have uh, covered two kinds of shrub propagation. We've discussed propagating from old wood, so taking a cutting, sticking it in the ground. Um, we've talked about propagating through new wood and harvesting shoots and cuttings, um, introducing those into a greenhouse setting and rooting them out from there. Um, there are, I think, two other accessible, I think that's the operative word here, accessible avenues or options when it comes to additional ways to propagate shrubs. One of these would be through a process called air layering, which we really only see when it comes to super, super specialty tree type things. 
Um, air layering is a process where you remove the outermost layer of bark off of a tree, introduce a um, moistened media, which could be wood chip, it could be long fiber sphagnum peat moss, it could be newsprint, it could be whatever that's been moistened. You wrap it around the now scarified, basically, um, portion of the stem or branch, and then you are going to cover that with some sort of uh, non-water permeable material. That could be grafting tape, that could be cling wrap, that could be, you know, the special little air layering or bullshit things that you find on the internet. Um, you can do it, you can do that process with many different things. The The run reason or the, what you want that non-water permeable material to do is basically keep the humidity and moisture from that um, media that you have wrapped around the branch. Uh, you want to keep that moisture inside because uh, that, that wound needs to stay moist. If you can keep that wound moist, that wound is actually going to pr produce roots. So when you come back and check it a couple weeks or a couple months later, you should, and you remove that outermost non-water permeable material, you should see roots forming in there. From that point, then you can just completely cut off the upper part of that branch where the foliage is and keeping intact with that now cutting the root material or root system that you've grown. Now you have a, a completely standalone plant. We see this a lot when it, like I said, when it comes to specialty trees, um, Arguably, you could bundle in trees into shrubs and, and woody cut production. So it's an option. It's there for you. You can have fun with it. Now, the other way is, well, fuck. There's two more ways now. Shit. Okay. One of them is just through good old division. Okay. Good old division can be a little bit of a bitch when it comes to shrubs because shrubs can be pretty big and burly and tough. But there are certain things that this this does work with. Um, one of the things that I've, I've personally been able to divide as far as a shrub um, is spirea. Spirea, the old-fashioned bridal veil. God, she's gorgeous. Um, the, the bridal wreath that we have here at the farm um, that we've propagated actually came from one of my grandparents or my grandpa's shrubs that he had at one of his properties. Um, and I was able to just dig out a chunk of that big mother plant, force it out in the greenhouse in pots, harvested cuttings, just like the process I talked to you about. And that one was a really good one, uh, to, to, to take root, high success rate grew quite quickly. Um, so, uh, that's, that's an option. The last one that we're going to talk about when it comes to easily accessible is uh, through um, basically a dumbed down version of layering, air layering. And I love this. I love this. If you're a grower who utilizes uh, mulch, like a mulching, mulched bed system like Erica from The Bloom in Portland, Tennessee, um, of which she has tremendous... Um, video content of her process for mulching her beds, um, on her Instagram. So you can go check that out. Um, but air layer or this dumbed down layer of 
this dumbed down process of layering is brilliant. It works. It's foolproof. It is. It. It's. It is good. Okay. <laughs> my my point is, what what we're going to talk about, what I'm going to tell you, has been done by nature, for, ever. Okay. This is not new, at all. Let's say you have. I don't even know. You could probably do this with pretty much any shrub and it would work. Let's say you have a gorgeous. <laughs> I love how I get so dramatic. You have a beautiful, beautiful red twig dogwood. It's brighter than all the other reds that you have. You don't want to fuck around with cuttings because I don't know why. It's the d easiest thing to do it with. Anyway, um, and you, you just want to make that one plant bigger. You want it to bulk out an area faster. Sure, no problem. All you got to do is take a one nice strong branch, bend it to the ground. So just take the tip of that branch, tip her over to the ground. Boop, boop, boop. Now she's touching the ground. A nice, nice part of that main br middle branch um, should be, you know, in contact with the soil. Now what you're going to do is take some sort of media, soil, peat moss, wet cardboard, whatever, put it over the top of the branch that you just tipped over so that you've got, I don't know, let's say six to eight inches covered. So you can see the tip of the twig on one side of this material and you've got the main part that's still attached to the mother bush. Okay. Can you picture this? From there, put something heavy over it, over that media that you just put on top. It could be a brick. It could be a bucket full of water. It could, you could, let's say, take two landscape staples or three landscape staples and pin that twig down to the ground. Seems easy, right? Because it is. What's going to happen is underneath that media or within that media that you've covered the twig with, you're going to have rooting production. It's going to make roots because it has consistent moisture. It's cool. There's no airflow. All of those things that prompt shrubs to root down. Okay. From there, you're going to see that in this, this process, once again, takes a while because these are shrubs. These are not petunias. These are not zinnias. These things take time. Okay. From there, you're going to see new growth starting to form on the tip that was exposed because we didn't cover it, just covered a chunk of the main section. And that growth is going to start growing vertically, obviously, right? Um, from there, you know, after you let it do its thing, you maybe gone through a season, you have at this point two plants now. You have the mother and then you have this now baby. With that now baby, you can cut it off, dig it out, move it, or you can let it go. Um, I would say arguably that is the easiest thing that you can do. <laughs> the simplest, most straightforward. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with myself there. Aside from <laughs> willow, this is the easiest thing you can do. Because with curly willow, girl, you just chop that shit up, put it in water. She grows. Okay. So there are there are different ways to do this. Now. One thing that we have not touched on, 
and I don't know jack shit about it, so I shouldn't even bring it up. And I'm holding this for last because I don't feel like it's readily available or accessible. I think accessible is the most important operative word here um, about the whole thing is uh, that of tissue culture. Um, tissue culture is a absolutely tremendous, tremendous tool that we have in our industry. We are very, very fortunate to, as horticulturalists, to have access to the level of technology, skill, determination, etc., that it takes to perform and produce consistent products through tissue culture. Farms, labs, facilities, etc. that are implementing tissue culture truly are commendable. They're oftentimes larger operations, and unfortunately, it is now happening in the industry of smaller cut flower growers that producers who are utilizing tissue culture are becoming villainized. And I think it's fucking bullshit. Excuse my language. I think it's bullshit because without farms who are utilizing this level of technology, of which, quite frankly, is not fucking new, um, they are the ones who are making the largest impact in our industry. They are the ones who are supplying enough product, growing enough product, distributing enough product, etc., to meet the needs of floral wholesalers, to meet the needs of floral exporters, to get domestic product in more places than just the United States. Okay, And I think it's very, very short-sighted of many of us smaller domestic producers who are villainizing these people and these producers who have been at this for a hell of a lot longer than most of us have. And I will be the first one to say that I was not always in the position with this thought process and mindset as I am today. Because when this new wave of, or this new wave of where it was cool to be a flower farmer, of which I feel like I fall into, really started to gain traction back in 2016, 2017, 2018, those large producers were the ones who were villainized. And I fell into it. And call this my baptism, Mary, because we're, we're turning a new leaf here. Over the past several months, being able to experience, tour, discuss, pick the brains of the people who really are truly fucking doing the damn thing and are doing it damn well, there is no reason, no reason, Barbara, for anyone to be talking shit about these producers because they are the ones who are making a difference. If we collectively, as small-scale cut flower producers, want to have a lasting impression on the domestic flower industry, then we've got to get our heads out of our effing asses and really understand about what it's taking or what it's going to take in order to make that difference. Okay? Yes, I will, you know, agree with you all day long that growing flowers in your backyard is tremendous. It's a hell of a lot of work. It's really fucking rewarding. But 
it's not enough. If we really, truly want to advance the domestic flower industry and have our industry of domestic flower producers be taken seriously, we need to figure out a way to level up, okay? Whether that is through collaborative efforts, love that. Love a good collective. George and I were, when we were walking through, oh God, where were we? We were in California at, at a, an outlet mall of all places. <laughs> and we saw an artist collective in an outlet mall. I was floored. I was like, what? And it was awesome. It was cool. And we know that these things and these systems work for flower farmers, okay? This has been done, and it has been done successfully. You know, take a look out west, Oregon, Washington, Tennessee, it's happening. Twin Cities, there's a collective. There, East Coast, there's collectives that are working, okay? If you don't see yourself in a situation or an opportunity where you either can, A, or B, want to, scale up into 20, 30, 40 acres in production, not a problem, girl. Get up with your homies. Figure out a plan. Make this shit happen. You know, work together and be taken seriously. But I will challenge you. If you are in an opportunity to jump into this pond, and baby, if you jump into this pond, you better fucking swim because... It, we need more large farms. We need more big farms. There is not enough product being produced. There is an ever number, ever growing number of large farms closing because they've, they're, they want to retire. They've devoted their life to this and they want to enjoy what's left of their life. And I don't fucking blame them. But if you see yourself in that, in that, you know, position or, standing out in that field jump in make those connections take that leap of faith get it going you're gonna have failures absolutely we all do you're gonna have successes and that's tremendous hold on to those successes they will keep you going and learn from those failures to get better now we <laughs> we have really gone off the rails of where we started with propagating shrubs however If someone tells you that you shouldn't be growing foliage and filler because there's, quote unquote, not enough money in it and it's easier to sell a dahlia for $4 a stem, I'm going to, that's fucking hilarious, girl. So funny because we don't have time for the because. Just trust me, okay? We need more. <laughs> we need more shrubs. We need more shrubs. Um, yes, all of the above. Go ahead. Chime in. If you have thoughts, opinions, things to say, let me know. Um, you can send me an email. Contact information is in the <laughs> description of today's episode. Um, yeah, I'm just having a, having a great time. And like I always, I don't always say this, but I do say this sometimes. What I say on this podcast is not gospel, okay? I'm just me sitting in my office, fat white kid in Northern Illinois, sharing my thoughts and opinions. And that's what they are, okay? If you like it, gorgeous. If you don't, even better. Have fun. 
No one's going to tell you what you got to do, girl. It's yours. Make it yours. Have fun. Live your life. <sighs> but do understand that there are a lot of people in this industry that take it seriously. And I'm really proud to say that I'm one of them. So I am wishing you all the best. Forever and ever. Amen. Anyway, enough bullshit. Have a great day. I will talk to you soon. Uh, next week, we're talking about the importance of help and employees and how you can factor that in um, and uh, kind of, you know, things to know before you take the leap. So that'll be a fun episode. And um, the week after that, we get to visit with someone who I absolutely adore. <sighs> yes, gorgeous. Okay. Anyway, got to go. Bye. Have fun. See you. Bye.